Story Makers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this is Story Makers. Show. That's Angie's favorite joke. It so is. just every time one of us has to do that. Um, <laughs> we are here today with Jean Kawahara, whose independent film credits uh, as an editor include the feature documentaries T-Rex, City of Borders, Yank Tanks, of Civil Rights and Wrongs, The Fred Korematsu Story, and the narrative feature Nail Polish. She was the consulting editor on the documentary Semper Fi, Always Faithful, which won the Best Editing Award at the 2011 Tribeca Film Festival and was shortlisted for the 2012 Academy Awards. Did you get to actually go and like wear a dress? I did not, no. <laughs> I know that. No, no, actually, no, it doesn't, actually shortlisted means... Uh. Unfortunately, right. that it didn't actually get in. nominated. Nominated, so right. it's not one of the five. Right, we got so, on the top. I think, I think it's ten or twelve. Yeah, it's still really ten. awesome. It's still yeah. really awesome. But you know, it would you be... thought about buying something fancy, <laughs> just, you didn't just held just... off. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Kawahara co-edited the New York Times documentary short series Robotica and several segments of the YouTube documentary series American Hipster. She is currently editing a feature documentary about the first solar-powered airplane to fly yeah, around the world. that just finished its flight, too. Right? Yeah. Have you, did you follow that a little bit? No. Or, <laughs> well, that's okay. The documentary. But you knew about it. <laughs> I don't want to spend too much time learning things, like, as they happen. I want someone to edit the good parts out for me and just give me, like, a 90-minute or a 60-minute Boom, all you need. I think we all do that nowadays, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, we keep like looking for like where's the where's the highlights reel from tonight's you know Democratic convention, <laughs> right? Like where is it? What's going on here? I don't want to watch Tim Kaine. Like, I don't care. <laughs> all right. Okay. T Rex premiered at the South by Southwest Film Festival, won the audience award at the San Francisco Film Festival, and will air on PBS's independent lens in August twenty sixteen. That would be next month. Yeah, coming up. City of Borders garnered the Teddy Award Audience Award at the Berlin Film Festival and aired on various PBS stations. Yank Tanks was voted Best Documentary at the 2002 Los Angeles Latino International Film Festival. Of Civil Wrongs and Rights won an Emmy for Best Editing and Directing in the 2001 National Academy of Television, Arts and Sciences, News and Documentary Emmy Awards. <gasps> like, jeez! <laughs> That's an award! <laughs> and I was like, am I going to get to the end of this? <laughs> but also... The film was also shortlisted for the 2001 Academy Awards and aired nationwide on the PBS program POV. All right, we have never quite annotated a bio this much, but it's fun. But we'll just wrap up by saying that uh, Jean edited short films that played at the Sundance Film Festival. Oh, there you go. Speaking of which. And oh, now I get this whole thing. <laughs> when, it was, when it was much less competitive. <laughs> and, no, no, no. And received awards for her commercial work, including a Golden Lion at the Cannes Film Festival and a Clio. Kawahara began her career in the San Francisco broadcast television industry as a writer-producer for a news and entertainment show produced by KPIX in San Francisco. And she holds a Bachelor of Arts in Humanities from UC Berkeley and a Master's Degree in Ethnic Studies from San Francisco State University. So you're just hanging out, not doing much. No. That's what I'm in about you. And I just want to add one more thing, which is that Jean is an incredible 
fiction writer as well mm -hmm. just like super talented so we're gonna have to have you back on when you have those awards and things that would be the dream <laughs> in the dream although so uh we have tons of questions we try to kind of focus on craft stuff but and we'll start with what we're working on oh i forgot <laughs> i always forget that part Wait, Wait, you maybe, we on? can rethink this because you angie's always ready to dive in and then it's like here's our structure what are you working on <laughs> so we start with us because then we're going to go to you and we're just going to spend the rest of the and time. And then you talk yes. for an hour and yes. we just sit here and look at you. <laughs> As you can tell by our... Remember, we told you uh, that. <laughs> that's, what, that's why I agreed. <laughs> Angie, what are you working on? Oh my God, I'm working on putting my bottom in the chair. This is a non-explicit podcast. So <laughs> uh, I, I am really struggling with sitting down and doing all the things I need to do. So I'm working on that and so i'm reading a lot of books about good so champions who don't have a problem putting their bottom in the chair so to speak <laughs> uh and, and another I'm, way of saying you're revising your screenplay yeah <laughs> but i have to say like i'm also the person like when i feel like i have to work out i watch a lot of like uh workout videos <laughs> but i don't really do it <laughs> so i you know and there's this gosh there's this woman kathy She's just amazing, super strong, super strong. If you ever want to watch people be strong around you, she is fantastic. And uh, a great book for, you know, getting stuff done is GTD. That's a good book. Um, and I'm also reading How Champions Think. So as soon as I'm done with that, I am going to get right to my revision. I am, I actually just finished inputting all the edits that I had made on my novel. Yay! And, and, and this morning I opened my laptop and it hadn't transferred, like Scrivener on my laptop didn't register any of them. So I had a moment of quiet panic while everybody was sleeping. Um, but apparently the Scrivener on my desktop does have those changes. So now I just have to figure out how much more I can do before I shove it into other people's hands and have them tell me what's wrong. And just to say quiet panic meant she sort of leaned over the bed while I was sleeping and breathing at me. <laughs> that was like a half hour into it. Anyway, Jean, what are you working on these days? Um, so, you mean film or... Both. Anything. Both. Okay. So film, I'm working on this uh, documentary about... A uh, solar airplane that just completed its um, round-the-world journey, which took it was supposed to take about five months, and they started last year, but then they ran into um, battery issues, so they had to stop the flight over the winter, and they just resumed it in uh, April, I believe, this year, and they just finished. Um, so it's the first 100% solar-powered um, airplane to go around the world with the pilot. Wow. So that's the document I'm working on, and we're talking about thousands of hours of footage. I mean, this is like crazy amounts because the filmmakers that I'm working with, there's two filmmakers, um, so they have they're shooting and they have so there's like a mission control. It's like a it's it's a huge massive operation, and so there's it's almost like think about NASA um, and astronauts because there is like a mission control that's. Um, in Monaco, and then there's the team, of course, the pilot that's flying around the world. So you have two different filmmaking teams. So you have two cameras going there, and then plus Solar Impulse, the airplane um, itself has their own filmmaking team, and they've graciously allowed us to use their footage. 
So this is probably Good the most grief. amount of footage that I've had to do ever. <laughs> so you're like watching, just logging like thousands of hours. Of well, it's to the point. I, I mean, I personally can't log. All yeah, that. I was going to say, don't you have like an yeah. intern or something? Like, yeah, so yeah, we have like an associate producer slash assistant editor that she does a lot. And then the, the directors themselves are um, kind of going through selects and pointing me in the direction because, you know, I just started, I did one week in December and then, you know, basically started full time in January. <coughs> Excuse me. And that is um, the timeline for that. And they want to be done in September. And so the timeline for that is unbelievably ambitious. September, not late August or mid August to get it into the, uh, <laughs> Sundance application <laughs> pool. <laughs> Just to say, um, there are such things as late um, submission okay, deadlines. Nice. All right. So that's what we're talking about here. I just want to say I'm seeing a real metaphor to creative projects with this plane that's like solar powered, but then kind of runs into like winter and whatever other technical problems there are, and like it's grounded. And but you now, is that good for a film to have these kinds of problems come up for the? Because that's sort of drama, right? Like obviously. Yes, yes, it's it's um, definitely. It's, and actually, this year there has been very little drama, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm kind of like, what? Really? They made it that quick? Hmm. <laughs> you know, it was a really smooth flight. Another smooth flight. Wow. Is anybody dating anyone? <laughs> Is there any kind of like? sexual tension between <laughs> I don't know the airplane and the pilot that's being inappropriate <laughs> oh, are you, so is part of your job to like look for story in all of this oh yeah definitely. or as we would say make stuff up <laughs> yeah. yeah there's a fine line between reality shows and documentaries <laughs> so what so what do you look for when you're looking for story um pretty much what we're looking for when we're doing fiction yeah <laughs> you know i mean there's so many similarities it's kind of you know it's kind of crazy because you would think with documentaries i mean you're you're working with footage that you know that's obviously you kind of don't have control over to a certain extent um but then it's sort of amazing how much you do have control over it so you know omission is huge right that's mm -hmm. <laughs> and so you, you think know, Michael yeah, Moore so... does that? Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think. Well, I mean, Michael Moore is like. I you know I totally distracted you from a really oh, no, good no. question that Elizabeth has asked. Obviously, Michael Moore. We'll I didn't have my I didn't have my coffee this morning, so I am a little meandering. <laughs> no, but go on. So, what are we looking for? Um. So yeah. So I think in oh, the mission. absence of like a pretty clear storyline, like a natural arc. Um, of like you said, like drama, like, you know, plane troubles or, you know, um, then you're looking for, or, or a chrono or a timeline of chronology, which is another very strong and kind of easy way to hang a documentary on. So a contest is a really mm -hmm. great, um, storyline, right? Cause you have a beginning, natural beginning, middle and end. Someone's so, going to lose. Someone's going to win. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Well, you know, and looking at this, we just watched T-Rex and I don't, I don't know how much I can talk about it, because, but I guess people can watch it. on. Yeah. Screen, so. Yeah. 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 Go for so it. So you set up very clearly the stakes 
in the beginning, the establishing mm-hmm. question, you know, will she get there? Will she win? And, and then, what, what, what are the consequences if she does and doesn't for like not only herself, but her whole family. family. Right. And then there's a twist. Right at the end, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. like, you know, our protagonist has done everything and no spoilers. There's a twist. <laughs> <laughs> or spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's still really worth watching. Even but, you know, in watching it, I was really struck, as you were saying, about the ways we look at like conflict and, and how clearly it was set up in T-Rex. Like, yeah. okay, these people are living in a place that they want to get out of. And this young woman is doing something really amazing in any context, but the stakes are so much higher and she has such drive and she's, you know, people around her are sort of looking at this in this way. And so you suddenly are just in a completely different thing. Whereas I think, you know, a lot of story writers will start with like, Bob woke up in the morning and, (laughs) you know, and it's like, okay, like what is the stakes? You know, what are the stakes? Mm -hmm. Stakes are apparently not knowing English, but, um, all right. So back to Jean with that question, that great question. Meandery. (laughs) (laughs) That's how I am. I'm very non sequitur too. (laughs) Did you even know what the question is? (laughs) Yeah. Can you repeat the question? (laughs) Or just refine it. Oh, I, all I was just saying is you were talking about how in, in documentary, it's very similar to um, narrative in the, in, in the way that you were looking for conflict or oh, okay. problem. And I thought it was really quickly and well set up in T-Rex. And so you had to find those things and establish them. Um, yeah. And I think with T-Rex, um, you know, the directors and myself were not necessarily interested in following the very typical, I think, sports doc arc or even sports story um, Mm -hmm. arc, which would be, it would have ended at the Olympics, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's why we had to set up the stakes the way we did, Mm -hmm. uh, because then it's not just about, we got to win to bring home the gold, you know, it's not, it's not just for the country, you know, it's, it's really for, you know, community for herself as well as her, her community. Right. And so that's, yeah. So we did feel like we had to set that up early. I mean, I think the issues that we had were, um, I mean, there was, it was a very rich, um, even though the, the hours of footage weren't, you know, weren't completely overwhelming, like, <laughs> like the current doc I'm working on. Um, <laughs> it was just very rich in material, um, which is, uh, you know, a great thing to have, obviously. Um, but so it was, it was kind of deciding what is going to illustrate her struggle the most and what is, you know, like we had this really great scene that I loved, um, where she's getting her hair done, um, surrounded by all these women and they're, you know, they're having conversations, kind of giving her advice, but also, you know, you know, they're joking around and they're talking about, you know, this date she has with Rel, right. Um, and I can't remember if it was like a first date, but it was early on. And it was just, you know, a really intimate, funny, beautiful scene, very revealing of um, the relationships they all had with each other. And I really wanted to keep that in. But it was sort of one of those things where this is another beat, a, a similar beat that we've already had which you guys are very, <laughs> you know, are always telling us, like, is it, you know, repeating, right? Is it, or is it building on to something else? And it was, you know, 
I mean, it's arguable like anything. It's very subjective. Like I probably, if it were up to me, I think I would have definitely found a way to keep it in. Uh, but um, anyway, so I think so. Our issue was that we also had um, so a lot of this sort of backstory that we wanted to include. Um, we felt like it was necessary to include it earlier on to raise the stakes the way we wanted the stakes raised. But then you kind of battle the thing of like. Is this too much? You know, the pacing is slower. You have more voiceover. Um, people are coming, you know, you know, to see basically a fight movie, a boxing movie, and they're not getting that for a while. You know, mm. other than the first little kind of short, very short um, fighting scene. So, is that you know, how is that fitting into the rhythm of the whole piece? Mm. Um, so that was. I'm probably going off track now, but, no. um, oh, but I guess, but so that was sort of like how the battle we had, uh, trying to make that first act, um, you know, sing, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's it's interesting. Mm -hmm. You've, you mentioned, you know, the things we teach, like, like in book in a year, right. Which is a lot yeah. of this kind of stuff, but I find people are resistant in a way to thinking about thinking in these terms explicitly about fiction. Sometimes it's more like, Maybe because we're creating the footage out of our own kind of bodies. And I folks. think so. <laughs> and so we're like, it just belongs because I wrote it. Yeah. Yeah. How has, how has be, being an, an editor and, and even working with documentary um, influenced your, your work and your own like sort of self-editing process in, as a fiction writer? You know, I really wish I could be as sort of ruthless in my own writing as I am, <laughs> you know, as an editor. And I do feel like, I mean, I think that's what, uh, like having, you know, there are some directors that edit their own stuff. Um, and actually one of the, one of the co-directors on T-Rex is also an editor. So he was, he was also an editor and he's a fantastic editor and a brilliant director as well. But, um, so I'm not talking about him specifically, um, but I do think in general, um, I think one of the main advantages of having a film, an editor for your film is that you are that one step removed from it. And you can clearly see if something's a little bit self-indulgent or not. I don't mean that, you know, but it's just something that, you know, obviously you're married to because it was a great scene or for whatever reason, but, and then that doesn't really support mm -hmm. what you're trying to do either with a story or with that character, right? It's too much. Yeah. Or whatever. And so I do feel like, you know, that's the value of having an editor, even if you can technically edit or, uh, you know, or you have certain ideas, but I think, um, and I wish, you know, I had that as a fiction writer, <laughs> Uh, because, you know, I can see myself going, wow, this is kind of funny. Or like, yeah. you know, this is like, you know, this, I thought this was the crux of, you know, her yeah. personality, right. whatever. And then it's just really hard to see that when you're creating it. But I mm -hmm. think as, you know, speaking from my experience as a film editor, it's so much clearer. Mm -hmm. um, well, Walter yeah. Murch has a whole comment about not wanting to go to the set because he doesn't want to know how hard it was to get any particular shot. Like <laughs> as the editor, he doesn't want to be invested in that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't tell you how many times, you know, you know, directors will come and just go, Oh, the scene, you can't wait for you to see the scene. It's so great. It's so funny. It's so whatever. And I'm like, yeah, great. And I'll watch it. And it's like really flat. And you're just kind of like, huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah, well, I can 
see how I could, you know, that could have been really great at the time, but, you know, and vice versa, you know, yeah. footage and be like, uh, this, you know, this, this, take a look at it, but I don't think there was anything there. And then I'll take a look at it and go, oh no, I think this, you know, this is great because mm -hmm. X, Y, and Z. So, you know, what you're getting on film you probably know, Angie, is not necessarily, you know, for the most part, it is. But there's a lot of nice, a lot of sometimes good, sometimes bad surprises that when you're actually looking at the footage. Um, and also, and, and to your point about Walter Murch's thing, is there's so many times when a director will not like a person at all. Like, a, you know, like, um, and and they won't want to put that person in because mm -hmm. they're not likable. And I, you know, I can look at it and go, Oh no, that person is great because of, you know, this. And so it really does color your perspective a lot. Yeah. And, oh my God. That's kind of good little yeah. gossipy tidbit. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, I think too, you know, the way you're talking about it, I can hear this whole team thinking like, what, is matters for the story what beats does the story need what's entertaining what's good and there's a sense of a relationship to an audience which mm -hmm. and i wonder if that comes from the fact that in film you can sit in your audience and feel if they're bored and hear if they're laughing and with fiction yeah. it's so private you don't get that and so and so we kind of maybe trickle away from or it almost seems like it's it's you know kind of um mm like like too populist or something to think about our audience and whether they're going to be entertained you know but bernie sanders would worry about that because <laughs> he's popular <laughs> right sorry i didn't have coffee so you're going to get random thoughts um yeah no i think yeah yeah your your point is very interesting and i think also like as you were saying earlier picking something from somebody else's uh collection of stuff it's easier to be more ruthless and um you know you don't really often see like a cinematographer saying you just don't get me right like <laughs> <laughs> how about the juxtaposition of of images i mean this is something mm -hmm. I, I remember reading like david mamet who i think was actually doing stealing from eisenstein or whatever right but like this idea that like it's like the story is told in how you put things next to each other. Yeah. Actually, can I, can you hold that thought? Because yeah. I actually did want yes. to go back to what Andy, uh, Andy, <laughs> Andy was just saying. Sorry. On, um, about like half jokingly about cinematographers say like, you just don't get this. <laughs> You'd be surprised. At how many, <laughs> how many, not cinematographers, but directors will be like trying to explain the story to me. <laughs> you know like well no you're just not getting it because it's because this person likes this person or you know it's right. because this is happening and this is happening it's like that's fine but the audience doesn't know that so how can we convey that to the audience so they feel as passionate as you do because you know directors just like as authors you know we love our work we love our story so much that's why we want to bring it to people right and so then a lot of directors just can't understand if you're not as excited and thrilled and passionate about every aspect of their story. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, a lot of times it's like, that's great, but, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and kind of the same way we, you, you know, we talk about story, right? It's just, it's like, that's not on the page. Uh, it's the same thing. It's like, it's great if that's the story, but that's not in the film, at least not yet. So how do we make that work? And so it is surprising how many times people will just try to describe their film, you know, or they'll show a scene or show, and, and then they'll support it by saying, yeah, isn't it great? Because, you know, 
and they'll, they'll try to, you know, outline, outline or describe the conflict or what the story is <laughs> because I don't, A, because they're excited, but sometimes they don't trust it or they're not getting the reaction that they think they should be getting. Mm. Um, so anyway, yeah, so yeah. Point, it definitely does happen a lot. And especially in the beginning, which kind of makes sense. You don't really have, you know, the, the film or, you know, anything to really support it. So you are going to have to like talk it up and explain it to people. But at a certain time, you got to tell them, okay, you got to stop explaining to people. And especially when you start having test screenings and rough, you know, mm. rough cut screens to gauge audience um, reaction. And they're sitting there trying to explain it. <laughs> just like, stop, <laughs> stop. <laughs> oh, okay. Follow up yeah. question on that before we get to yeah. the juxtaposition is um, what do you think about director's cuts? Are they bad? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, no, I think director's bad. cuts, you probably, you don't really see that so much in documentaries because <laughs> no money. And so it's not like, you know, it's not like the studio's going, oh, we got to really jazz this up and make it a moneymaker. You know, we got to have a happy ending. I mean, there is a little bit of that, but that's more kind of like in the grant process in some ways or like how funders like to see things. Um, if, if that's, it, it all depends on how the film is getting funded, obviously. Um, and so, and the thing is, and I think most people, it, I think in the beginning people are like, oh, it has, you know, it can be as long as it needs to be, you know, it could be 120 minutes and, and I'm, there are so few documentaries that justify anything longer than 90 minutes, yeah. <laughs> honestly, you know, and most, you know, especially nowadays, I think people are. I don't want to fall back on everybody has a short attention span, but I think it's just more that we're savvier to, you can, you can pack a lot in. <laughs> Maybe I'll say it that way in a short amount of time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and the aesthetic is not such that we're at least American aesthetic is not that we're used to a lot of really long meandering shots maybe one or two, <laughs> but not for a whole film. So, um, so yeah, I don't think the whole, the direct, I mean, actually for T-Rex, there was, uh, um, we did have to cut about four minutes, I think for the PBS, um, version. So, you know, I guess the director's cut is four minutes longer, <laughs> um, you know, which actually, you know, being an intimate part of that, I feel like, yeah, the, the uncut version is, is superior. <laughs> but, I mean, it did make a big difference. I think it made yeah. a big difference the way, but anyway, um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think I guess with the narrative, when you see the director's cuts with narrative, I mean, I think that would make a difference, and that's, and I could see why that's valid or valuable for the director, um, because I think usually that is that is because of studio decision mm -hmm. that it's the length that it was, and, mm -hmm. you know, right. But with the juxtaposition of images <clears throat> you were talking about, yeah. you restate what your question was so we can well, we can. Okay. Uh, it's okay. We don't need to cut oh, it. Oh, we'll just, okay. We'll just, um, we'll this, talk about cutting it and then we won't, we'll and then going. we won't cut this part either. <laughs> so, um, yeah, just, just, just that I think there's a lot of, of story. My understanding is there's a lot of story that happens in the jump cut between scenes, even, even on the page, but you know, and, and, and in the juxtaposition of images and, and even things like, you know, the 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 image the, well, that leads into the next image. So I'm just curious about the kind of on that level when you're editing, how you think about putting those images together. Yeah, the transitions yeah. are really really time consuming. <laughs> Can be time consuming. I mean, there are some that naturally lead into other scenes. 
um, whether that's because of story. But a lot of times, um, it really has to do with rhythm and what, um, so if it's not like a plot, say a consideration or a chronological thing, then it's kind of like if you have, you know, a really heavy scene, you probably don't want to follow it with yet another heavy scene because that'll take away from both of them, right? So then you want to, um, maybe it's a little bit more informational or maybe it's just a mood change into, you know, okay, that was really depressing. Now let's, now it's the dawn of a new day. I mean, literally it could be that obviously, right? But um, so a lot of times because the transitions do, you do, like you said, have to really think about it. Um, and when we're cutting, so right now we're pretty much just cut you initially, you're just kind of cutting scenes and thinking like, yeah, maybe this will go sort of in the beginning or sort of in the middle or whatever. But, um, if you start trying to work the transitions in, which you can, um, but it's very time consuming and knowing that those scenes are probably going to move around anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, you, I try to not spend a lot. It, it really depends on like also who you're working with. If, you know, you're, if the, a director really wants to see, you know, a cut flowing, then you are going to have to work those transitions. And the problem with that is it's sort of the thing is like when you um, write something great and you just love it um, and you don't want to get rid of it. Well, the transitions work the same way because they're mostly visual and they're very, they can be emotional or they're, you know, about, uh, but they're, yeah, I think they're more visual slash emotional sort of. And so if something's working really well, you are so loath to change that right. juxtaposition. Right. And you're just like, and so many times just like, no, 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 we can't move that because it works so well next to the other scene. And so I don't know. I mean, I don't know if there's any shortcuts to editing. I mean, I wish there were, but because yeah. um, I've done it both ways in, in the the film that I'm working on right now, we are definitely not doing transitions because of that. Um, so that again, it leads to the question then, you know, we as a consumer follow the story and we're surprised by how it goes. Um, and obviously, you know, you're constructing a story, but sometimes it seems like you might be constructing as you're getting information a little bit. So how do you kind of manage you know, not knowing the ending just yet and, um, developing that three act structure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy. Um, mm -hmm. I think the ending, um, especially with documentaries, you're always looking for your ending. Um, and I think that's, uh, that's probably the, uh, the biggest, um, stress induce, uh, you know, stress causer for directors, I would say. Because when you stop filming, you know, uh, most documentaries, you, that's such a choice that you have to, such a difficult choice that you have to make. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's obvious because if you're following an event. Um, but so like in the case of T-Rex, that, um, that ending actually started out to be, um, we actually had cut a version where the ending was she gets that scholarship to college and then so the ending was uh her graduation and it was very uplifting yeah that way i have to say it was um it was maybe a little bit more traditional i don't know if expected is the right word but you know it was very upbeat ending and it was like great she gets the scholarship she's on her way um 
but it didn't tr- feel very true to actually what happened. Mm. She did get the scholarship, but in the end, she ended up dropping out for various reasons. So knowing that, because they, you know, it wasn't like that was happening as we were cutting, like right. that had already happened. Okay. Um, so it felt not an exact lie, but it didn't feel kind of true to the spirit of, I guess the story, I, I, I guess it, you know, we wanted it to be realistic. We didn't want it to be a downer, but, um, to just show that everything's not that easy. And, and I, and I think actually, I mean, just personally, I don't, I don't know if I had this conversation with the directors, but personally, I mean, it's, it's kind of a, a fairly large problem where, um, I think there's a lot of programs um, trying to get a lot of um, underprivileged kids into college, and then they would be like, "Phew, we did it, we succeeded," and then that the support stopped there, and then you saw all these people, dro- all these right. kids dropping out because it was such a completely, you know, it's obviously college is hard for for most people, but it was a token gesture without support underneath. It. Well, I know, yeah, <clears throat> well, I don't think know. people understand always yeah. what it requires to get all the way through. Yeah, so. Uh, I don't think they were going like, woo, it's a token gesture. I think they were like, this hurdle is so uncrossable for so many people. Mm-hmm. We're going to help people get across that hurdle. And then it's like, okay, but if they trip on the other side. Yeah. You know, yeah. So it, they weren't graduating. Yeah. I just want to mention that yeah. Claudia Rankine gave an incredible keynote speech at AWP about <clears throat> uh, MFA programs, bringing in all of these, you know, bringing in students of color as in, and even faculty of color, but in a really tokenistic way and then not supporting them and not nominating mm-hmm. them for fellowships and things like that. And it was very powerful. I'll, oh. I'll link to stuff about it in the show notes, Eight. but I'm oh. sure someone got it on their phone. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if it, uh, do you think it's on YouTube or something? I think so, somebody wrote an article about it that I think okay. maybe had the, a lot of the text in it. So I'll, I'll put it, I'll put a link at storymakersshow.com. Oh, great. Yeah. So, like, when you do the editing, do you do uh, color grading, that sort of thing, or are you cutting and passing it off? Pretty much cutting and passing it off. I mean, I'll definitely do a, a pass mm-hmm. um, just so we can watch it in something, you know, semi-watchable. <laughs> uh, and also, if we're sending it out for um, grants or funding you know funders to watch and i'll definitely do a pass um and it just depends i mean some if you have the money or some directors will then also pay well depending what it is they will actually do a you know hire a colorist and a mixer and not do like a really major mix but kind of like a one pass mix where they just kind of level things out um even though i do that it's not the same, obviously. <laughs> right. Well, you know, I ask because, yeah. um, you know, things like music and color so intensely kind of push your experience as the viewer and then push, you know, yeah. here, feel yes. this, feel that. Yes. Um, when you're writing fiction, you know, we have things like setting and we talk about a character, how they perceive their environment. Um, I'm just wondering, as, as the writer in your writer hat, do you think about those same kinds of tools as you write your wonderful short stories? Hmm. I definitely think about rhythm and pacing, mm-hmm. but like I said, I, you know, I have having such a hard time, uh, being that 
the editor <laughs> of my own writing that it's, it, you know, I don't see the similarities in that. Like it's not as crystal clear. It's not even clear. It's so murky <laughs> that, um, yeah, I don't. It's like people should have editors for writing. Well, there are editors. <laughs> yeah. There should be. What? That's a great idea. So you know what though? I was thinking? It's like, I'm surprised that more people don't write together. <laughs> Yeah, like, you know, what? because, you know, when we're doing the film, it's so nice. Like, you know, sometimes you get in a rut and the other person, you know, will pick you up or they're not in a rut. They're feeling really great and positive and they kind of like get you going again. And it's just um, it's it's a true teamwork in that sense. And then mm -hmm. you're watching everything and you're going over it and um, you're trying to, you know, you're generally you have this a very similar aesthetic and you're just trying to make some things better. And it, it inevitably turns out better because you have, you think, I mean, I think, because you have, you know, multiple people working on it. And then you get <laughs> to the writing and you don't have anyone. Yeah. That's why you have to host podcasts and, and teach <laughs> classes and things to get your community there. <laughs> yeah, but I don't know. It, was just, it just surprises me that there aren't more people writing together. I, don't I know. think there's a have whole you... different... Uh, we, we are needing to move on to our next segment, but I do want to say that I think there's a whole different ethic around ownership in mm -hmm. uh, filmmaking and, um, you know, so you have screenwriters who will collaborate, right? And there's a whole bunch of legal definitions for who gets credit for what. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that is all really clearly laid out. It's not a conversation people have to have. There are people in a lot of the self-publishing arena who are doing these kind of collaborative work projects. Really? Um, and even James Patterson is doing like weird oh, stuff. Oh, that's right? true. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, but, yeah. and also, I mean, historically, I think a lot of people have had, you know, wives who wrote extensively <laughs> wrote and rewrote their work. Like, and in fact, yeah. I think Fates and Furies, uh, mm -hmm. Lauren Groff's novel uh -huh. sort of, sort of uh, points to that, <laughs> but you know, Right, but there's I, been more collaboration than is acknowledged in, yeah. in prose writing. <laughs> but I definitely think there's a thing in prose writing where you know it's, I don't know. There's definitely like a thing that's much more like um, single author, and the idea almost of like, you know, we have these famous writers, and so like it's like oh, if we acknowledge how much Gertrude Stein influenced Hemingway, does mm -hmm. that take away from Hemingway? You know, or if we acknowledge how much editors do for authors who are published, does that take away from them? Mm -hmm. And we don't talk yeah. about that. Yeah. So well, That's sort of like filmmaking, though, in a certain degree. Like, I do feel like directors, you know, I mean, rightfully so, they get the credit. But, <laughs> but there are a lot of people behind much. them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah agreed. Right, right. But at least you're, you're like, more than just in the acknowledgement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's all very collaborative. Yeah, 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 it really is. Speaking of which, it is time for our Steal This segment. T.S. Okay. Eliot said amateur poets borrow, professional poets steal. And he stole that from someone. But um, <laughs> so we like to wrap up by asking ourselves and our guests, what have you come across lately that you want to take and make your own? So... Do you want to start, Jean, or would you like us to model? Um, why don't you model? <laughs> <laughs> no, I have an idea. But okay. why don't you 
go for it. Yeah. All right. And there's really, there's, there's no right or wrong here. You know, I was just uh, reading a couple of different books. One book I was reading was about sort of generating ideas. And I didn't know this, but literally the poem that Romeo and Juliet is taken from is called The Tragic History of Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> and so you just... <laughs> Like, that was not even trying. Like, it wasn't like turning it into a West Side story. It was just like, these are good names. But we wouldn't say Romeus because we're in England. Let's use Romeo. That sounds more Italian, less Latin. Also, with the iambic pentameter, it was probably just easier, maybe. Yeah. Romeo, so, Romeus, actually, he didn't even do iambic pentameter until he read that poem. But, um, anyway... <laughs> So I've been reading this book called How Champions Think, and I've also been listening to The Inner Game of Tennis. And um, the thing that I want to steal right now is actually just the idea that you have control over how you perceive your performance. You have yeah. control over how you perceive your performance. I yeah. was thinking about yeah. that actually talking to Eugene That's because good. you have such clarity you know, about the documentary, right? And you're, and you're like, let me do this. And we're looking for the story. And you're in there and it's like work, like you're working full time doing this. And then with fiction, where in fact you have the most amazing footage imaginable, right? And of course it makes sense that it's, you can't just be the sole editor of your own work, but, but it's funny how with fiction, I think we get into all of this like murkiness. I mean, I think we all do, you know what I mean? And, and just, but that confidence of like, this is, this is how I, what it was say it again. <laughs> I've lost just actually that you have control over how you perceive yeah. your performance. So, you know, they're talking a lot yeah. about how apparently yeah. Jack Nicholas went to talk to like Georgia tech golfers or something. Cause his son was there and he was like, you know, I never, and I don't even really know what this means. I never like had a triple putt or whatever. Did I, I never did these certain things. And he was like, saying that about his performance and this guy was like uh actually you did and he's like no i didn't like you're not remembering that correctly and the truth was the guy wasn't misremembering he had actually done that but the guy who's writing the book was like the way he has set up his focus is almost the exact opposite of my own which is <laughs> that he focuses on the things that went right takes those in and lets the ones that didn't go well go past because those aren't what, what's important. Wow. And I was like, oh, that's not what I do at <laughs> all. The opposite. Ever. <laughs> right? <laughs> so I'm not starting with I can do that. I'm starting with we do have control over how we perceive our performance. And then I, you know, next week we can talk more <laughs> about how that went. <laughs> yeah, that's a great, that is a great goal or at least something to keep in mind because that's, I don't know. I don't know if that's a female thing, too. <laughs> it, you know, I think we're definitely trained. But this guy yeah. was also really interesting in that he said, like, in school, think about how you get a test. You don't get a test where they circle all the right answers. Mm -hmm. That's true. And you get a that's test true. where they yeah. really draw your attention to what you did yeah. wrong. And yeah. it's just assumed that yeah. you don't need to draw attention to the things you did well. That's very true. And I think that's why Elizabeth is such a good teacher. Because she does a really good job yeah. of drawing her your attention. Exactly. No, that's you're absolutely right, and that makes such a huge difference. Huge emotionally, everything it mm -hmm. just colors your perception. Yeah, like you said. <laughs> well, 
I want to steal from Audrey and Rich, and I actually was reading a review of her uh, collection in um, in the New York Times. Wayne Kostenbaum did a review, which I'll link to in the show notes, and um, and I'm just going to read a paragraph from the review. Um, because he really pulls out exactly what I want to do. Listening to Rich's vowels and consonants, we hear her ethics. Racism and patriarchy have pillaged a natural world she elegantly. Amid mourning, she intones in a voice dispersing consolation such lancing phrases as the lake's light blistered blue, the soaked wick quietly drinking, striated iris standing in a jar. Nor forget crimson stems veining upward, or the dry, dark brown lace of seaweed. Observe the bridge-lit shawls and the sycamores blazing through the sulfuric air. Pay homage to fire-green yucca under fire-ribbed clouds, blue-green agave grown huge in flower, and the spectacle of blood-red bracked from spiked stem tossing on the ocean. Learn from a rainbow arching her lusters over rut and stubble. And I just thought, oh, my God, like the things that one can do with language if one is willing to labor, you know, not just over sentences, but over words and images in that Mm -hmm. way is just amazing. So and again, talking about your juxtaposition, right? Those are all images that are juxtaposed against something else and create a meaning in between. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, that was beautiful. (laughs) So those are two very different examples. You can do anything you want. Her steal. This is um, going to be awesome. (laughs) I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be I'm like gonna just write like that. I'm just gonna, because you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so I guess uh, so. One thing that, or a couple of things that have struck me recently. I don't know necessarily if it's a steal this, but uh, yeah, I guess it is. I guess it is, and I think it could be both um, film and and um, literature or writing or fiction writing. So. I don't know if you've been as obsessed as the rest of the world with Hamilton. Oh, uh, I see it. Yeah. Uh, no, we're yeah. not obsessed, no, but we do know the rest of the world. Okay. Yes. Okay. Well, mostly because we're in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> our household has just been, we haven't seen it, of course, because you'd have to be a multimillionaire these days to get a ticket. Darn. But um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're on our way, but not quite there yet. <laughs> but um, so we have the CD, or I got the CD, and we've been listening to it. And I, I'm not like I haven't been like a musical person. It's like I love musicals, but this. Um, okay, I'll try to wrap this. I'll try to keep this quick because I could go on and on about how you could sing it. <laughs> exactly. No, you don't want me to do that. But I was reading the. Um, liner notes or the footnotes of the Hamilton book as well. And Lin-Manuel is, you know, footnoting like how, you know, what he thought about writing that or how he came up with the idea or whatever. And there's this one thing which I wrote down. Let me, um, so, so you loosely know what it's about, like right between Hamilton and Burr, like their ideological opposites or they have this like kind of long, long staff, long standing rivalries, i.e. frenemies. Um, and so he said when he was writing their characters or, you know, writing the story, the raps, he said, our task, I'm going to write, uh, our task was to dramatize two, not two ideological opposites, but a fundamental difference in temperament. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, so the reason that struck me is because um, I think sometimes when I'm thinking about you know, trying to create or show two different characters. It's more cerebral. It's all about like, you know, this person wants this or, 
you know, yeah, mostly it's because of their wants or, or their backgrounds or whatever, as opposed to thinking um, about how can you just physicalize them or by their temperament, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So in this case, he was just showing that Burr was very patient and was willing to wait for things and not show, you know, kind of what he felt, whereas Hamilton was the opposite, where he was just very emotional, laid everything out there, said whatever without, you know, editing himself. Um, and so he could not understand why Burr could, was so patient, and he saw that as a fault. So anyway, so mm-hmm. so if you look at the way they're portrayed, every single time they're kind of talking to each other, confronting, you see that, you know, in their temperament. And it's not necessarily what they're saying or doing. I mean, sometimes it is, but it's the temperament that, um, that, that defined them. And I thought that was really interesting because, Mm -hmm. you know, that is so true. It's something we can easily see or read about, but it's not like out there in your face. Right. It's a little bit more subtle, but just like something tangible that we can all hold on to. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. 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 Um, it totally puts me in mind of like painting when sometimes you yeah. get that like a layer beneath what's going to be over it. You know what I mean? So that you have like light coming through in a way that you wouldn't necessarily if you hadn't laid that down. And um, oh, yeah. it's really interesting to think about that way as a yeah base coat there. Base coat. Yeah, yeah. It's not something I've naturally thought about actually in writing for sure. Yeah, mm-hmm. You know. Then the other thing, this is less tangible, but um, so I was also reading um, Mo Meta Blues. Do you know that book? I've heard of it. The Questlove. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so he wrote this. It's an older. Um, he wrote this a few years ago. Um, so it's kind of like I don't know if it's an autobiography. Like loosely, it's a memoir-ish, and. Um, so the way he structured it was really interesting. It was very kind of meta-ish, but then he also included a, his um, one of his producers in the narrative. So the producer, besides Questlove, kind of doing this interesting sort of Q and A in some of his cha- at the beginning of his chapters, he also has footnotes by the producer, and it was just this really interesting way of of of. Um, I don't read a ton of memoirs, but the ones I have haven't done this format. So it just made me think about just any other way, you know, you can structure. Mm. And the next actual documentary project I'm going to be working on is a personal doc. And I haven't done that before. What, what does that so, mean? So it means it's, it's, it's like in the perspective of the filmmaker. So I guess Michael Moore for ready example i mean his is much more issue based so it's hard to say that that's really a personal doc but at least but he's included in it he's narrating and he's talking to camera the memoir of documentary exactly exactly and it can encompass a lot you know most of the time again this is why i don't necessarily uh include michael moore in that even though his techniques are like that uh because they're more kind of like personal stories like a memoir you know and they're not like big issues generally um, so yes, yeah, so the next one I'm doing is, and I haven't done that. So it's, so it'll be, it's, I've been thinking about then it's going to be a challenge, but so I've been kind of like, um, looking at different ways people are telling narratives. And actually it's interesting because Hamilton, when you get to the end, I mean, that's all about like narratives and who gets to tell the story. I mean, that's the main thrust of who, who tells history, who gets to tell the story, it's a narrative. Yeah. And then, um, 
one other documentary that is really crucial or that's kind of like amazingly inventive and talks exactly to this is Sarah Polly's stories we tell. I was just thinking of that. I couldn't remember who, yes. what her name was that I, yeah. yeah. I so that. she took that to a whole new level about who gets, who tells the story and what's, what is the story? Who, you know, who's legit, who's not. Um, so anyway, um, uh-huh. so I just been thinking a lot about that, like different ways to tell a story, who, who gets to tell a story and both in um, fiction writing or both in writing and filmmaking. Well, and the producer coming in is sort of a form of collaborative prose writing, right? Which you were. Yeah, I guess so. That's true. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting because uh, in the sort of the same way as like Hamilton, who gets to tell, you know, like the different ways we remember things kind of like st- stories we tell, you know, he, he, in some ways when he's chiming in, he's, he has a different version of than quest love. Yeah. On right. What happened. So it's really, so it's interesting that way. Yeah. You should. Great. As a memoir writer, you might want to check it out. Yes. <laughs> struggling. I feel much more like a novelist who tried to write a memoir. But <laughs> um, Well, thank you so, so much for coming and talking mm-hmm. to us. How can people find your work and your sort of find their way to your public self? Oh, you know, I'm so, I'm not so good at that. <laughs> um, August... Oh, should I should have run this out? Is it August second or third? An independent lens will be showing T Rex. Right. Uh, August second or third. I have to look that up. Sorry. Um, or if you just go to the Independent Lens website, PBS Independent Lens. Okay. Um, it's gonna be. I guess it's probably airing right before the Olympics. I'm assuming. Mm, it's that's great. Really. What, yeah. Because she's. Yeah. She's going again, isn't she? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. So yeah. And then, yeah, that's about it. <laughs> we'll update yeah. the show notes when you get that information. Okay. And, um, and also, if you um, people want to join Storymaker Show Facebook page, uh, when things happen, like the, the screening of T-Rex and other things, oh, we okay. will post those as well um, with the link. So. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. Okay. So we will, we will keep Thank people you. up to date on your unfolding work as well as... Um, you know, future fiction publications, which we're looking for. <laughs> so thank you thank so, so you. much. This is Storymakers Show. You can find show notes at storymakersshow.com. And please rate us on iTunes and Stitcher so like-minded folks can find us or unlike-minded folks who might enjoy the show. Thank you so much. Thank you.